Acts chapter 2 is where we are. We've got a lot of work to do, so y'all listen fast. On the day of Pentecost, isn't it interesting? It's that day on our calendar, and it's where we are in our journey through the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Isn't it good to be meeting together in one place? Sam, it's good to be meeting together in one place. Nothing quite like meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. What are these languages? As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation. Here we have a clue about these languages. And they're living in Jerusalem. The reason they're living in Jerusalem is because there's four festivals, four feasts that happen in the spring of the year, kind of in rapid-fire succession. And so many of these people, Jewish people, had traveled from all over the world to be there during these festivals. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. I mean, this would be like today, God did something in this room, or, 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 or we, all, we all go up to visit Madison. I'll use her example. We all go up to visit Madison, New York this summer, and there's people groups there from all over the world. And here's this little dude from Bibb County that comes to visit Madison at Cafe 1040, and all of a sudden I start speaking French and Japanese and German and Swahili, and they would be going, what in the world is this guy doing speaking all these languages? And so they're, they're blown away by this. And they said, here we are, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. This is all over the world, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Remember, back to Tower of Babel, God confused their languages. He judged them. He separated them out, but now he's unifying them together in Christ. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd, there's always others in the crowd, right? They ridiculed them saying, oh, they're just drunk. This is the birthday of the church. This day, think about this, y'all. This is where we come on the scene. Now, nobody in this room got to pick their birthday. And up until recently, moms didn't even get to pick the birthday of their child. Now, because sometimes of health reasons or things like that, an expectant mom might get to schedule uh, the birth of their child if there's some type of reason to be able to do that. So some of you, you might have known a week or two in advance what day your child was going to be born on, but God knew. He knew the very day that his church was going to be born. He knew it all along, but... Specifically in Leviticus chapter 23, and if you just are curious, you can go to Leviticus 23 and you can stick a finger in there and kind of follow along. But in Leviticus chapter 23, 1500 years before the church was born, God already put it on the calendar. He already picked out their birthday. In Leviticus chapter 23, God gives the Israelites seven feasts or, or convocations or seven festivals that they are to keep every year. This is about 3,500 years ago from where we are right now. God did this. 
And these seven feasts, watch this, they completely outline or foreshadow the life and death and resurrection and second coming of Jesus. All the way back to Leviticus chapter 23. These seven feasts are a blueprint of the life of the Messiah. And God gave his people this blueprint of the life of the Messiah 1,500 years before the Messiah was even born. These seven Jewish feasts are like the dress rehearsals. They're the dress rehearsals for the most important events that are ever going to happen in the history of the world. It is as if in Leviticus 23, God says the biggest moments are these seven, and I'm going to point you to these seven biggest moments in human history. And the seven are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, that's where we are today, trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. And, and here's what they're communicating to us. They're telling us about the first coming of Jesus, and they're also telling us about the second coming of Jesus. That's why Paul writes these words in Colossians chapter 2. You might want to write down this address, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath. Watch this. For these rules were only shadows of the real thing. Christ himself. In other words, Paul in the New Testament says, Leviticus chapter 23, these seven feasts, they're all about Jesus. So let's talk about these. The first feast that God gives his people is Passover. And you're probably familiar with the story of Passover. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. We just went through that timeline. They were there as slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And God begins the process of delivering his people. He does that by sending nine plagues or nine judgments to the nation of Israel. And every time, Pharaoh just continues to harden his heart more and more. And so finally, God sends a tenth and a final judgment. He sends the death angel, the angel of wrath, to come into Egypt. And the only way that you could be spared the wrath of God that night in Egypt is if you took a lamb, a perfect and a spotless lamb, and you sacrificed it. You took the blood of that lamb and you spread it out on the wooden door frame of your home, both, both vertically and horizontally. And in so doing that, by faith then, the Spirit of God, the death angel then, would come and into Egypt to pour out the wrath of God. But if he saw that the blood of the lamb had been applied to you and your household, he would pass judgment over you. He would pass that judgment over everyone in that home, and you would be saved both from God's wrath and you would be saved for God's purposes. This saving act of God was an act of grace. It was God's grace. And people got to enter into this by faith alone. So you were saved by grace through faith, and it all hinged on the blood of a lamb. That's the same way a person saved today, by the way. We're saved in the New Testament the same way they were saved in the Old Testament. It is all by God's grace. It is only through faith. And it is always through the blood of a lamb. For us now, not just any lamb, but the lamb. 
John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's feast number one, festival number one, the feast of Passover. And God says, I want you to be celebrating this every year. And so in Leviticus chapter 23, God says, put it on your calendar, guys. And he tells them where to put it. Secondly, there's another feast that comes right on the heels of this. And it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread. This one is also connected to their time in Egypt. See, while in Egypt, they had been eating the bread of the Egyptians. This was a bread that was baked with leaven or baked with yeast. And so it would take time for that to rise. But on the night of the Passover, they're about to go now out of Egypt. And so there's no time to let the yeast rise. And so God says, tonight you're going to bake not Egyptian bread, but unleavened bread. No yeast in it. In fact, he gives them detailed instructions about how to make sure they clean out every particle of yeast out of their home. That yeast now was becoming symbolic and representative of Egypt and symbolic and representative of sin. So God is bringing them out and they didn't have time to bake that Egyptian bread. So they're baking this bread without yeast now. This is God saying this is the end of your old life. This is the end of the ways of the Egyptians. This is the end of the old way that you lived. There's a new day that has come now. And you're walking out of the old and into the new. Your time as a slave in Egypt has come to an end. These first two feasts, by the way, they were back to back. Just one after another. And then a day later. So this is three days in a row. You have the next feast. Which is called... First fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits was a time to celebrate God's provision, God's faithfulness to them. They would celebrate that their crops were now beginning to come in and they would offer to God as an act of praise the first fruits from their harvest. That's what it was all about. That the first harvest was coming now up out of the ground. So, so like I got this one little bell pepper that started coming in at home right now. So that would be like one thing I would have brought, right? So this has come up out of the ground. It's the first to come up out of the ground, and I'm bringing this to God. So these three just back to back to back. But then in Leviticus chapter 23, we get to the fourth feast that God says now seven weeks. In Leviticus 23, he said seven weeks after first fruits, there's going to be another feast. In fact, he says seven weeks Plus one day. I'll show you. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath. Fifty days. In Greek, the word for fifty is the word Pentecost. So this is why you and I call this day Pentecost In Hebrew, it's Shuvat, which means festival of weeks. So 50 days later, so we have the fourth feast now called Pentecost. Let me tell you a little bit about Pentecost. The Bible says, continuing there, Leviticus 23. Let's just go back to verse 16. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. And make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour and bake them with yeast. So this isn't unleavened bread. 
This is different. This is actually leavened. It's got yeast in it. So this is 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits was not the beginning of the wheat harvest. This was just the beginning of crops coming in. Pentecost is celebrating the beginning of the wheat harvest, right? Think, think with me, right? I got a bell pepper coming in now, but okra's not coming in till later. All right, some of y'all understand what I'm talking about. So they had some crops coming in here. They'd celebrate first fruits, but wheat doesn't start coming in till 50 days later. And so they would bring that then before the Lord. So they're celebrating that God has been faithful. He's now beginning to provide the wheat. This was their staple crop. This was the source of their sustenance. This is how they made bread. These four feasts are, are by the way, these are the spring. Springtime of the year. And they're all happening within a span of about 50 days from each other. And then there's a gap. You're, you're going to see this. I mean, I'll go ahead and put this up here. There's no more feast in the spring. And there's none in the summer. I don't have a big enough board to accentuate just how big this gap is going to be. But we go from spring to summer. Nothing's happening in the summer. No Jewish feast. No festivals. But then we get to the fall, and we have feast number five, which is what's called the Feast of the Trumpets. Or you may have heard Rosh Hashanah. Anybody heard that? All right, that's the feast we're talking about here, the Feast of Trumpets. It was one day, it was a one-day feast when God's people would be called together. It would happen like this. The priest would blast on the shofar or the trumpet 99 blasts. Each blast was sending a signal to the people, get ready, be prepared, get ready. And the reason they would be blasting that is because there was something that they were calling the people to get ready for. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment. So the blasting of the trumpets was to send this message to the Jewish people to prepare. Prepare because the day of the Lord is coming. Prepare, because the Day of Atonement is coming. We'll talk about the Day of Atonement in just a moment. So 99 blasts of the trumpet, and then there's a 100 blasts, and that one would signal the workers, it's time to come out of the fields. Remember, the wheat harvest has started. We're in the summer now, and now autumn is beginning. So the wheat harvest is coming to an end. And so that 100th final blast of the trumpet would signal the people in the fields the work's done now there might still be wheat to be harvested but when that final trumpet blast happens that's it you abruptly leave the field you abruptly leave the harvest and you gather together with the faithful to worship God listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There's a moment coming that abruptly we're going to be called out of the fields. We're going to be called out of that to gather together to worship the Lord. But the Feast of Trumpets was simply a day of preparation it was the most serious and somber 
call that was going out because the most serious and somber festival was about to happen, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the most serious, most reverent feast of them all. People were mourning during the Day of Atonement over their sin. They were broken because of their sin. They were grieving on that day because of their sin. God is judging the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. This was the one day of the year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people, the nation of Israel. It's judgment day for Israel. That's what the day of atonement is all about. It's judgment day. That's a heavy day. And God's people would feel the heaviness and the weight of their sin being judged by a holy God on that day. But then, just a few days after that, Man, their joy would skyrocket, and they would celebrate the Feast of Booths, or the Jews call it Sukkot. The fe this festival was the most exciting. This is the greatest festival. This one was filled with the most sorrow. This one, right after it, is filled with the most joy. They were joyful as they were reflecting back on their time in the wilderness that God had protected them remember they traveled in tents or in booths and God tabernacled with them he protected them with cloud by day and fire by night this is still the biggest celebration in Israel today if you're over there uh, one day during the festival of booths or Sukkot you'll see this you'll see people that build little tent Places that they live in for a few days or maybe even eat their meals in or sleep in you'll see these constructed out on their their balconies and sometimes in their backyards they're being reminded that God had tabernacled with them as they came through that season it was a joyful time it's Israel's greatest their greatest celebration still to this day it is and that festival lasts for seven days and then there's something like an eighth festival. Some say it's not an extra festival. It's just the final, it's an additional day to the last festival. And that's called the Shimni at Zaret. Shimni at Zaret. On the day of the Shimni at Zaret, something happens called the Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah just simply means they've been reading through every feast and festival throughout the year. They've been reading through the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. But now they've completed the reading of the Torah, and when they get to Shimni Atzeret, they get to Simchat Torah, they start the process of beginning to read the Torah all over again. So if you start reading the Torah all over again, which book are you beginning to read with? Genesis. And what's the first three words of the book of Genesis? In the beginning. It's a recognition now that everything is beginning again. Everything is beginning anew. Now here's what I want to get at with you today. This is what Paul said in the New Testament about Leviticus 23 where God laid all this out. Don't miss this. This is all about Jesus. All of it. 
What he lays out in Leviticus chapter 23 is a blueprint of the life of the Messiah, the life of Jesus. Jesus has already fulfilled and is soon about to finish fulfilling everything that God laid out in these appointed festivals in Leviticus chapter 23. The whole story is about Jesus. That's why every Sunday I'm really predictable. Every Sunday I'm going to preach Jesus. Because that's what the whole Bible is about. It's about Jesus. The Bible is not a self-help book. It's not a self-improvement book. The Bible is the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And way back, 3,500 years ago, in Leviticus chapter 23, God sat down with his people and he says, these are going to be the seven biggest events that ever happened in human history. Get them on your calendar. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Leviticus 23 Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's, the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. These are His festivals. These are His celebrations. These are His parties. They're about Him. He designed them before they ever celebrated them. And He designed them with intent and with purpose Verse 21 of Leviticus 23 says they're appointed festivals. God had already planned them out. He had planned when they were going to happen and how they were going to happen and what they're about and who they're about. And they're all about Jesus. And let me show you how we see Jesus in all of these festivals. When did Jesus die on the cross? It was on Passover. And just as the original Passover, the blood of a perfect lamb was put on two pieces of wood vertically and horizontally at the cross, the Lamb of God died and his blood was shed on two wooden beams vertically and horizontally as Jesus died for the sin of the world. And when was the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It was the very next day. Where is Jesus the very next day? He's in the grave. Low in the grave he lay. Jesus, my Savior. Jesus is in the grave that next day. What did the Feast of Unleavened Bread represent? The end of an old life. Well, we, we look back at that day that Jesus was in the grave, and we know that was the end of our old life. That because of the blood of the Lamb, we've been buried with Christ in his death. And we've been raised to walk in new life. And by the way, this is unleavened bread because in Jesus there's no sin. None at all. So Jesus was in the grave on that day of that festival. And then right behind that one, the very next day, the feast of first fruits. So this is happening on Saturday, the Sabbath. This happens on Sunday. We would say that then would be our Easter Sunday, wouldn't it? I think you know what happened on that day. Jesus rises from the grave. What is Jesus on that day? He is the first fruit of the resurrection. He is the first to come up out of the ground and stay. There have been others that have been resurrected that Jesus raised, but they just died again and went back in the ground. 
This is complete resurrection. This is true resurrection in every sense of the word. And Jesus is the first fruit of that. He was raised from the dead on the day of first fruits. God put this on their calendar in Leviticus chapter 23. Every time they were celebrating these things, he was pointing them to their Messiah. He was pointing them to Jesus. These appointed Days, The death of Jesus was on the calendar. Jesus in the grave was on the calendar. Jesus rising from the grave were from the calendar. All these were just dress rehearsals of the real thing. Paul says just shadows of the real thing. Then in Leviticus 23, God says seven weeks after this festival plus one day. That's 50 days. That's Pentecost. It's the beginning of the wheat harvest. What happened at Pentecost? What did we read about earlier in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came down, entered into the hearts, into the lives of the believers. And that was the beginning of the church. Jesus steps into history once again and he begins his church in that fourth feast that happens during the spring. And what did we see happening? God's got... The wheat harvest coming in already in Acts chapter 2 from all over the world. Fifteen, I think, different people groups that are named in Acts chapter 2. Remember, it was on this day back in Leviticus chapter 23 that God said, On this day, you're going to bring two loaves of bread. We read that a minute ago. I don't know if you caught it in Leviticus 23. Why two loaves of bread? Because now it's Jew and Gentile. And he said something interesting about that bread. He said, this, these two loaves of bread aren't unleavened, they're leavened. In other words, Jews and Gentiles who, yes, have been redeemed by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, but they are not yet without sin. But praise God, we have a high priest who is, who's praying for us. We can boldly approach his throne of grace. So now, look where we are. We're in the gap. That's where you and I are today. I told you this is spring. This is fall. Summer, there's no Jewish festivals. We're in the gap. God's not dealing with his nation Israel right now. 2,000 years ago at the day of Pentecost, God turned his attention toward doing what Jesus promised to do. He said, I will build my church. You and I are in the gap right now. We're in what's called the age of grace. We're in the church age right now. That's us. This is where we are. Think about that, y'all. A bunch of Gentiles in rural Alabama sitting here breaking down the seven Jewish feasts that are all pointing to the Messiah. We're here. We're in this gap for such a time as this. To do what? To do what? Why are we here, church? To make him known to the nations. To tell the nations, look, we live in a world that's so broken. All you got to do is just look at the news, right? Get on your social media. Just look around. It's broken. It wasn't always that way. God had created a perfect world. Everything was perfect and right in that world. But man went against God and sinned. And now what people are doing is they're doing everything they can to try to escape this brokenness. And they turn to drugs and alcohol or relationships or success or even religion. Even trying to be a good person to try to escape this brokenness. But all this is just like bungee cords. 
It's just going to snap us eventually right back into the brokenness. And it seems there's no way out, but there is. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven, and he died on the cross, and he rose again. And if you and I will turn from this brokenness, and we'll pray and repent and trust Christ, we'll be restored to a new life and a relationship with God. Saved, serving now as his ambassadors into a broken world to tell other people how they can escape that brokenness as well. But you need to know this gap is getting small. And it's been getting smaller for about 2,000 years, and soon it's going to close. And here's what's going to go down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who died will rise from their graves. Anybody buried a loved one that you know loved the Lord Jesus Christ? They're coming back. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What do you say? The trumpet call of God. That's what's going to initiate all this. What's about to happen next is the summertime's going to be over. The gap time, the church time, the age of grace is going to be over. And there's going to be this great trumpet blast. That's going to be Jesus returning for his church and at the same time telling the nation of Israel, you better get ready because I'm coming now for you. I'm turning my attention now back toward you and he's going to do that for seven years and what we call the seven years of tribulation and then those seven years are going to conclude with jesus returning to earth to judge he will sit on david's throne in jerusalem as he promised that he would for one thousand years ruling and reigning and we will rule and reign with him and what's going to happen then is we're going to be experiencing our greatest celebration. Jew and Gentile, because once again, God is tabernacling among men. God is dwelling and living with people again for those thousand years. And if God was telling Israel to prepare back in those days, they hadn't seen anything like they got to prepare for this judgment that's coming in those seven years that lead us into that thousand-year reign with Jesus. So that heavy sorrow then is transformed in this tremendous joy because we're with Jesus now for these thousand years. What about that eighth festival? It's a new beginning. In the beginning is where it starts. Jesus now lives with his people forever. And a new heaven and a new earth. Look, this is how I understand the world I live in. This is my worldview. I interpret everything through these lenses. This is how I understand what's happening in the news. It's all filtered through this. This is how I understand who I am and where I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is the worldview that I have that determines how I pastor you as a church. I want you to know who you are and where you are and why you're here. We're in the gap to do this. We're in the gap to finish taking the good news to go into the wheat harvest fields. Jesus said the fields are wide in the harvest, but any moment that trumpet blast is going to happen and we're immediately going to leave the fields. Not everybody's going to be harvested in. We'll be gathered together with the Lord. Listen, I want to be passionate. I want you to be passionate. I want to be hustling. 
And I want you to be hustling because I want us to know who we are and where we are and why we are where we are. There ought to be a sense of urgency in us right now. We've got work to do. We don't exist in the gap to make much of us. We don't exist in the gap to make a name for ourselves. We don't exist in the gap to make a name for our church. We exist in the gap to know God and to make Him known to all the nations of the earth. That's my worldview. And you got a worldview too. But is your worldview the right worldview? I think we got a lot of people who come to church and they love Jesus, but they're not seeing the story. You haven't really seen who you are and where you are in God's plan. Look, if God's done all this, why do you not think he's doing this? And why do you think he won't do that? He has, he is, and he will. Most people just don't have the right worldview. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they are. They don't know how they fit in the story. They don't know why they're in the story for such a time as this. I want grace life. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know where you fit in God's plan. I want you to know why you're here. We are called to go into the wheat field. It is white unto harvest. We're supposed to be gathering. We're supposed to be harvesting right now. Because any minute the great high priest is going to blow that shofar, that 100th blast. I don't know how many times it's already blown. I don't know how many blasts has already happened. But when that 100th happens, that's it. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You are here we are here redeemed sinners saved by grace one family one family listen don't listen to people who say oh we got to be out there getting reconciled to each other you are reconciled to each other the nations have been reconciled to each other jew gentile we're all reconciled to one another in christ it's already happened we're god's ambassadors to this world He's called us to take the gospel to all the nations, just like Madison's going to get to do this summer. We're living in the gap, and this is closing. The church age, the time of the Gentiles, the age of grace. Listen, I'm telling you today, God's plan is not going to be stopped. He's already said, Leviticus 23, seven biggest things are going to happen. The Messiah is going to die on the cross. He's going to go in the grave. He's going to rise from the grave. He's going to start a church to reach the whole world. Then he's going to come for his church. He's going to turn back to Israel. He's going to judge them. He's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Then he's going to make all things new. His fingerprints are all over all of history. There's not a thing going on in our world right now, not a thing going on that you're going to read about and hear about in the news this week, that God is not all over it. Nothing going on in your life is going to throw a monkey wrench into it. He's got the whole world in his hands. His fingerprints. You just want to get that stuck in your brain. His fingerprints are all over it. And he has written this in such a way to lead you and to lead others to him. Billions of stars right now are worshiping him. Billions of bits of history and information are bowing before his sovereignty today. Why aren't you? Who, oh man, do you think you are? Everything bows before him. Why aren't we 
yielding completely and fully and saying, Lord, would you make today my Pentecost Sunday? That the Holy Spirit would not only be present in me, but would be president over me. That he would rule me and fill me and control my life. Would you pray that today? Let's pray together. God, this is where we understand we are in your great plan. 3,500 years ago in Leviticus chapter 23, you, you put Grace Life on the calendar. You put the church, capital C, on the calendar. You've determined the times that we would live in. The nations that would inhabit this planet. And now, like no age that's come before us, you have given us instant access to every corner of the globe. And yet we're, we're piddle-paddling around with lesser things. With focus on self and focus on temporary. But you've saved us to send us. You've saved us to send us into the fields that are ready to be harvested. This will not last much longer. And we want to be found faithful when that trumpet blows, God. So Holy Spirit, would you dominate our hearts and our minds now? Get us on the agenda of Almighty God and off the agenda of poor, pitiful self. Would you do this for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. What's the Lord saying to you today? Are you working the field? Is that what you get up thinking about every day? Is that what you go to bed thinking about every night? Got to get in the field tomorrow and tell somebody about Jesus because it might be the last time. This might be the last day. you bow and surrender your life before him today and say, God, you saved me. Now send me. Here I am. Send me.